welcome to Camp Gray Public Radio, Father Kevin. We're excited to have you. Would you mind introducing yourself and giving us what you do, who you are, and what your connection to camp is? Yeah, I'd love to. So I'm Father Kevin Earlywine. I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Dubuque, Iowa. My connection to camp is as I worked there for three different summers. After my first year of college, I worked there in the summer of 2009, and then the summer of 2010 after that. Uh, and then I joined seminary, and then I wasn't free any summers until then I took some time off of seminary and had a random free summer while I was living in my parents' basement and came back to work there again in the summer of, summer would that have been, 2014. 14, thank you. I You're appreciate okay. that. Well, cool. Uh, Father Kevin, can you give us a little bit, uh, before we start talking about Advent and Gaudete Sunday, can you give us a little bit of, of your backstory about what drew you to seminary, why you knew you wanted to become a priest, um, how camp impacted you? Yeah, I'd love to. So, yeah, um, I mean, there's the, there's the long, medium, and the short version to the more shortened version. Of course, everything I say, there's a lot more to all of it. But, yeah, basically, so I grew up in farm in Wisconsin and all that jazz, born and raised Catholic. I knew from early on that kind of Christianity was important, but all my really strong Christian friends weren't Catholic. So that's where I got a lot of my Christian formation was in my, you know, the evangelical group and such. But it really wasn't until college I really discovered, like, that there's so much more to Catholicism than I, than I ever realized. I guess the journey kind of started in high school when I had a friend who tried telling me Catholicism was evil. I had my own beast with Catholicism, but I did really spark the journey that really, I think, really deepened when I was in college, all of a sudden meeting a really strong Christian community who was Catholic. And uh, between college and then going to Catholic summer camp, uh, Camp Gray, um, so it was just this huge impact of meeting young people who were on fire for their faith who were Catholic that just really helped me to see the beauty and the depth and the profundity and that there's so much more to the Catholic faith than I ever realized. And was just very inspired with people. I had many conversations with people. So I would say especially what camp really gave me was uh, just a, a really powerful, strong Catholic community, being immersed with young people who really loved this faith and who were really seeking to live it and integrate it and who were really trying to discern God's will for them. So that was really incredible and beautiful. So I think I think that really helped and deepened my love of Catholicism, which certainly, of course, and then talking to young people who were discerning the possibility of, like, maybe God's calling me to be a people at camp asking me, hey, have you ever thought about being a So that all kind of opened me up to the possibility. Um, so let me ask the question, have you, yeah. had you thought about being a priest prior to camp, to that experience in college? That's right. Oh, thing. yeah. It, uh, it crossed my mind here and there, but uh, I think it was really more of a prideful thought because we'd have this, like an old priest who would come in and just, you know, be like, oh, it's so joyous that we gather here today. And I was like, I could do this better. But uh, which is very prideful, of course, you know, not a good motivation. So I, I think, but I think the initial step that is open. But, you know, going to college, I think it was, you know, maybe but it's going to be something way down the road, you know, like I'm going to date a few girls, graduate college, see the world. So I think it was really being immersed in the intentional Catholic community, both at college and at camp, that really, I think, expediated the process that really opened me up a lot more to it. So Yeah, yeah. for sure. You mentioned that you were living in your parents' basement, our parents' basement, for a while. Um, yeah. You, you were not in seminary for a while. Can you tell us more about that? Well, I, to, to give a little backstory, I'll, I'll start with another story to lead into that. I think um, kind of where I really, one of the other driving pieces that I think really helped me discover my call to seminary was in college, um, I did a service trip to Chicago when I was a sophomore in college. It was my first real uh, encounter with, I think, 
poverty, uh, urban poverty in the United States face to face. And uh, I got to sit down and have a conversation with a homeless guy who talked about, uh, you know, just told me his really tragic life story and all the horrible things he's been through. And I remember thinking to myself, well, why did I get so lucky? This guy had a really rough go around. Uh, it was just a really powerful experience for me. And I think that really helped me understand that everything in my life, all the blessings are not for me. You know, that this whole idea that we receive as a gift, we give as a gift. So, so like having known the love of God in my life and desiring to share that with some places, gave put on my heart this desire to be among the poor. And that's been present all through, all through seminary, still is. Um, but being present through seminary led me to then take some time to step away from seminary to look a little more intentionally at um, being more intentional among the poor. So I ended up joining, of course, um, a, a group of Franciscans in inner city Chicago, the Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago, who serve at the Mission of Our Lady of the Angels, serving the poor on the West Side. So, uh, well, so I stepped out of seminary and moved into my parents' basement, kind of to then look at different religious communities, different lay missionary communities that did that type of work of intentional work with the poor. So that included, I looked at a great program called Christ in the City in Denver, that does a year of missionary work with the homeless. I looked at a group called Emmaus Ministries in Chicago that worked with homeless men uh, who were in male prostitution. And I and then eventually ended up uh, looking at different Franciscan communities and during this one that serves the poor on the west side of Chicago. But that was yeah. after my uh, summer at camp. Yeah, so and ultimately you spent the summer at camp. You stayed with the Franciscans for a year. But then uh, what, what drew you back to, um, obviously, you're a diocesan priest now. What drew you back to that? Right. Um, what, what was that calling that, that you felt called back to the priesthood? Yeah, I think it was, so it was just, there was a lot of intentional prayer, and, uh, you know, then there's a lot that went into that process. But I think kind of the moment was I went back and it, it happened to be an evening, actually, we as the community, the Franciscan community, we were watching the movie Les Mis, you know, uh, with Hugh Jackson and everything. And, uh, and I had seen it before, so. I watched the first part, but I still had to go pray my holy hour. So I went after, you know, watching the beginning of this beautiful story, Mercy and Redemption, I go to the chapel and I start praying with the, the Gospel of Mark and the, Jesus sending out of the apostles in the Gospel. And uh, just that he sent them out to go preach the Gospel, to heal the poor, or to, to heal the sick and to proclaim the kingdom and drive out demons. And just that it really struck me that to be a Baptist priest is like living the apostolic life. Of course, the Franciscans do that in their own way, but... It just really convicted me of this, that my primary call was this call to priesthood, you know, more than first and foremost. And that just like, I felt in that moment, very convicted that God was calling me to be a priest and to be a priest as soon as possible. And uh, I think that's when I was really convicted in um, this context of mercy and uh, being sent out to proclaim, or preach the gospel. So Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's an awesome story. And, and certainly, I think it's important to... Uh, recognize that that everybody has their calling, right? And that you know, kind of like you mentioned, the Franciscans are obviously living living the apostolic life in their in their own wonderful way as well, um, as well as many of the other communities. So I think uh, I know you and I have talked about this and the fact that there uh, it, it's easy to say that like oh Father Kevin had this moment of conversion, right? Where he's like oh I'm now convicted that I'm supposed to be a priest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I know being your brother that that was you know, that it was not solely in that moment that you were like, great, I am now and forever always ready to be a priest, right? Like you were, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you were, uh, it was, it was certainly a conviction that called you back to, to the seminary and to the diocesan priesthood. But, uh, and so I, I think that's just important for listeners to remember that mm. uh, you might, you might have this moment that is, that changes your heart. That doesn't mean that you are going to be like massively on fire and right. following that calling at all times. Yeah. yeah. Just that know that there will be struggles along the way, I guess. 
I like to joke that uh, my seminary journey was reoccurring series of existential crises. So, <laughs> and more or less perpetual existential crises. So, uh, so yeah. So to your point, there were, of course, there were certain moments that I can point to, but it was it was several of those types of moments that lead up into the discovering the call, or the discovering the call more deeply that happened throughout the journey. So it's an ongoing thing, you know, and then there, there's also those more convicting moments along the way, even now into priesthood, you know, there's some days that I'm like, really? Like, you know, what, what, what am I doing here? And then, but then you have those moments of prayer that convict you or remind you, oh yeah, this why I'm on this journey and, and that, that just affirm the path that we're on. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I think that's a good transition and segue into the fact that my favorite day of Advent is coming up. Um, yeah. And that is Gaudete Sunday, in part because I like to joke that it is international uh, make fun of your priest for wearing pink day. Um, ah, yeah. But um, so for those of you uh, at home, Gaudete Sunday is the day that we like light the pink candle on the Advent wreath. Um, but Father Kevin, would you mind telling us more about why, A, it's called Gaudete Sunday, um, and then maybe talking a little bit more about why it's not national make fun of your uh, priest yeah. for wearing pink day or rose, yeah. as, as it is officially Absolutely. called. Yes, I'd like to, to emphasize, it's not pink rose, as I like to say, because Jesus didn't pink from the dead, he rose from the dead, so <laughs> that's there you good. go. <laughs> I haven't so heard that one smoke. before. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't pink. So um, I also did a little research into the difference between rose, and, and I found from EWPN, because I'm really uh, technical and really nerdy, it says... Uh, Rose is defined by the dictionary as a moderate purplish red color or purplish pink, uh, and the liturgical color is thus a lightened violet and is darker than the pale hue usually associated with pink. Uh, and pink is any group of colors with a reddish hue that are low to moderate saturated, usually reflect or transmit large amount of light, a pale reddish, which is not counted among the. So there you go. I'm wow. sure that just cleared everything up. <laughs> Thanks, EWTN. <laughs> yeah, that's from EWTN. Thank you. Um, so Gaudete Sunday, so of course Gaudete means rejoice, which is Latin for rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. And it's a particular Sunday we focus on joy in the midst of Lent. So it comes from, the word Gaudete or rejoice comes from, there's this little verse that you can say at the beginning of Mass called the Entrance Antiphon, which is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Indeed, the Lord is near. And that comes from Philippians chapter 4, which also happens to be the second reading of that day, too, from uh, Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord, always I say it again, rejoice. Um, and so, of course, we're, it's in the midst of, um, you know, this Sunday is the third Sunday of Advent. Uh, and we're in the midst of, of Advent, which I say, really, Advent is not hope. If you could summarize the whole theme of Advent, the word is hope. Um, and hope and anticipation. And I think it's this recognition that joy is a, is a fruit of hope. You know, so we're kind of immersing ourselves biblically in this hopeful longing for the coming of the Messiah. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, you know, and this, this we're yearning and longing for the Lord to come and rescue us once again. And biblically, we kind of immerse ourselves with the people of Israel as they're in exile waiting for their coming Messiah. That's why we have a lot of readings from the prophets. So it's in the midst of that hope that then we have this Sunday that really um, shows that part of the fruit of hope, besides perseverance, it's also joy. You know, rejoicing in the midst of that yearning and longing that, that what keeps us going in hope is there is this joy that underlies our are um, suffering. Um, so um, that is kind of that, that recognition of that. And that's why, you know, when Paul talks about having joy and suffering, that's what he's getting at. His joy and suffering isn't just because we like suffering, but rather it's that when, we, when you have hope to hold on to, then 
even the greatest suffering, there's this joy that can underlie that. And um, so it's also, and it's the third Sunday of Advent, and I like to say it's also kind of the, the extra hype, the holy hype uh, that, that the Lord is near. So we've been saying the Lord is coming, the Lord is near. Now it's this sign and he's getting really close. So get extra excited. So I like to say it's kind of a half, the halftime hype. You know, you get through the first two quarters of a game, and then you have halftime, and now we're getting psyched because now, now it's getting really real. We know that, that we're getting really close to the final victory of the Lord coming. So, and, but it just comes in our liturgies, too, that, you know, we've been praying, you know, both in our, there's a prayer book the priests use called the Liturgy of the Hours, different uh, prayers we pray throughout the day, each and every day, and uh, the prayers in there, and then the prayers in the Mass, you know, first it's been, we've been praying, and there's been these verses we pray that, that come Lord Jesus, the Lord is coming, uh, but then those verses, you know, change to not only like, so there's this invitatory, the first thing we pray at the beginning of the day is priest. Come, let us worship the Lord, the King who is to come. Well, come third Sunday of Advent, uh, we hype this up, you know, that the Lord is close at hand. Come, let us worship him. So there's the, this idea that now we're getting excited, you know, it's coming, it's getting close. So, um, and so then we, we venerate that also with the rose and uh, there's other prayers as well. We use a, um, so it, it's also in, in, it comes together with, Starting on December 17th, there's all these special prayers we start praying. That is kind of the final countdown, if you will. We really want to connect it also to sports, you know. So, there you go. So it's like, get excited. The Lord's getting really close. And that's kind of the whole point of Gaudete Sunday. Rejoice, the Lord is me. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as, as we record this, right, we're exactly two weeks out from Christmas. Um, in, in my mind, at least, right, there's there's the four weeks of Advent, there's the four candles on the wreath. Um, obviously, that varies a little bit from, from year to year, just depending on how um, Christmas falls. Um, obviously, this week, this year is a little bit shorter uh, of, an, uh, of an Advent just due to Christmas being on a Tuesday. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think it's important um, that, yeah, we, we enjoy that, that halfway hype and um, yeah, and appreciate it for what it is. So one idea that I want to parse out a little bit more is that uh, you talked about Gaudete means rejoice, right? Um, and so uh, thinking back to the one summer that you and I were on staff together in 2014, um, our theme that summer was joy. Um, and that's, that was one of my favorite themes that we've had at camp in a long time. And, um, and so I, I think just thinking about, I mean, you tied them together a little bit, but thinking about what um, the difference between just like having this, um, having this joy in us, this joy and joy and hope, joy and suffering that you talked about, um, and and kind of rejoicing. If there is a difference, um, I, I'm I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on parsing that out a little bit. Well, I think rejoicing. I think they're very connected. Uh, rejoicing to rejoice, Gaudete, is the the action of living joy. You know, so like joy is the thing, and rejoice is like to live joy. You know. Yeah, and so uh, I think that song that summer you were talking about with Joy was a theme, I believe, wasn't the our theme song? Joy like, from Wren. Yeah, Ren Collective. It was yep. Wren Collective. And it was the joy of the Lord is my strength, you know, uh, and which is kind of an interesting phrase. I don't know if we talk about often the connection joy and strength, you know, uh, but it's kind of that, uh, you know, again, I think it's very intimately connected with hope, uh, that hope giving us that strength to keep carrying on because we know that even this too shall pass, you know, the, the darkness and the, uh, whatever we're facing, we have the hope that, you know, the sun will rise again, you know, that uh, the sun will come out t- 
tomorrow and the words Annie, you know, a lot of it really cheesy. Uh, so, um, yeah. So some connections. Yeah. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, I, I think so. And I think as I reflect on it even a little bit more here too, um, that joy being the, uh, being more of the, the state of being right. That like we can have joy and we can be joyful. Um, but to actually rejoice, to kind of express that joy, to, to live it, I think is, I, I think is an important, um, uh, important thing, especially during this time of, uh, of penance a, a little bit more, you know, it can, it can feel like we're like, ah, like, you know, uh, the, the last couple of readings have been, you know, prepare for the second coming of the Lord. Like, don't be stuck in your drunkenness, right? Um, you know, be, be alert, be ready. Um, but that doesn't mean, uh, I, I think just reminding, uh, reminding ourselves that that doesn't mean that we have to be, um, discontent about that or, or, or yeah. sad about the second coming. Right? We should be joyful. We should be um, rejoicing at the coming of the Lord um, in, in his first and second coming. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, I think sometimes we forget, sometimes we think of repentance, repent, you know, turn away from your, like you're saying, your drunkenness, your sinful ways. Uh, repentance really is a joyful thing. I mean, it's painful at times, but I think like what we sometimes forget is that exactly in coming to the freedom uh it, it, it's the freedom of repentance is where true joy is found you know that we're actually we can't live true joy when we're still stuck in our our old <clears throat> when we're trapped in our sinful ways that that so that actually there's a freedom in that freedom of repentance there comes true joy uh and i think it's also important to parse out i think rather than rejoice and rejoicing to parse out the difference between joy and happiness you know i think of happiness as being the circumstantial emotion, like the emotion that's based on the circumstances, happiness. But joy is something much deeper than that. You know, it's not the, uh, and, and, and that's where it's connected to strength. Um, there's a great video I just watched. Uh, there's this great website called The Bible Project, and they just got a great little series of five-minute videos that explain different things about the Bible. And they have one on there on um, four, four themes in Advent, hope, Hope, peace, joy, and love, but they tie it very biblically. What is hope biblically in the Old Testament? How do we understand that? And, and joy, and things like that. And one thing they talk about is the difference between hope and optimism. That hope isn't just optimism, it's positive. But hope is in trusting in God, that God will fulfill his promises, even when it looks impossible. Like, it's not just, like, even when we can't think positively about the situation, you know, somehow, in some way, cause, because with the Lord, all things are possible, the Lord will pull through. And that's hope, and that's joy. Yeah. And so anyway. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, Father Kevin, to, to wrap up our um, kind of our, our chat on, on Advent, um, can you just uh, you talked about penance and, and joy in, um, in that, you know, coming back to the Lord um, as as a priest, as someone that's at, uh, even though you're a young priest, as someone that's heard confessions and heard uh, a decent chunk of confessions at this point. Uh, what sorts of um, what sorts of advice would you have for someone who is going to confession, um, uh, uh, particularly perhaps for for the first time in a long time, um, or just to yeah ways to make a good confession, ways to um, not be intimidated by going back to confession after, even if it's been a while. Yeah, I would say first of all, the point of confession is not judgment. Uh, I think a lot of people have a fear of you know I can't go to the priest because I'll be judged. And not just because, you know, even if it's a priest they really like. Sometimes it's the priest they really like, all the more reason they don't want to go. Well, I don't want them to think less of me, you know, and things like that. And But I think it's realizing, like, the whole point of sacrament and sacramentalizing confession is to be able to name our sins aloud and to hear audibly the words like, 
you are in love. You are forgiven, you know, that we lay out there. He, here's all our sins. And then you affirm, like, you are forgiven and you are loved. Like, that the Lord rejoices in there, you know. Um, that, the, that it's not, I think we have this false notion sometimes that our pre- prerequisite for the Lord to love us is, first, we got to be free. You can't love me. Which isn't really Christianity at all. It's the whole point, not that we became perfect and then God decided to love us because we finally got our act together. But uh, rather it's that he loves us even in the midst of our struggles and suffering, you know, uh, and in the midst of our sinfulness. Um, and, and then he wants to bring us into that freedom. And so that's what I would say for, you know, if someone's intimidated with confession, I mean, there's various reasons people are intimidated from that sacrament, but that would be a really major one. Um, I think realizing that it, it's a, a place of, of hope and to be affirmed in the love of the Lord, you know, that's, something I found incredibly beautiful. So I, I had a number of years I was away from the sacrament of confession. You know, I think I did like my first reconciliation and then I didn't go again to college. I think I had to go once in high school before confirmation. I didn't really do a very good, honest confession then. But really in college where I, I was on the street and I went to this priest who I greatly looked up to and knew and I was terrified. I'm like, man, he's going to think differently of me and all this stuff. And I just remember, so of course, that I like laid it all out there on the table. Here he is. I'm just like, the immensity of love, like that I put out, here's all my worst stuff, and then just feeling so loved in that moment. God loves you, you are loved, you know, and like God wants to heal you and bring you to so much more. Um, and to, I think to understand that that's, that's part of the point of sacrament, you know, the, the, to sacramentalize to us the unconditional love of the Lord, uh, even in the midst of our sinfulness. So, and with that, then his desire to, to bring us to a fuller life, to more life, to uh, to free us from those things that find us so that we can have fullness of joy. Yeah. Um, no, that's great. And so I guess the kind of the couple follow-up questions. Um, as as a priest, do you remember people's sins? I, I feel like, you know, you could say that like, oh, Father's not going to judge me, but, you know, you've heard enough confessions. Do you, do you even remember people's sins? Uh, I think sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. You know, I think it depends on the situation. Obviously, the, that another uh, affirming thing we have is that the seal of confession is absolute, you know, so uh, even if I do remember them, I can't tell anyone, you know, or uh, I can't do anything that would do any, in any way, uh, lead someone to connect that sin with that individual ever. Um, but, um, you know, but the beautiful thing is, is you know, I found, I like to sometimes use the analogy of, uh, just to help understand, like, you know, when people are able to open up and say, here's what I'm doing, it, for me, it's not of, uh, I think, less of them, it just, makes you love them more, you know, I, I connect it to if anyone's had the experience of like, you know, when you have a close friend come to you and like, open up to you about what's uh, going on inside and their struggles. And that's just like, you've had that experience, like, at least for me, when I've had friends do that, it, it I mean, it doesn't make me think any less of them. It's just, just like your heart just pours out for them. Like, you just want to love them more. You just want to like, hug them and like, let them know, hey, like, you are loved so deeply, and I'm here for you to walk with um, and so I think if, you know, anyone who's had that kind of an experience with a close friend, to me, is uh, is very analogous to what a priest experience is in confession. You know, it's not, not at all that we think less of this person, because we're all sinners and we all know that. I know first and foremost how terrible of a sinner I am. Um, but uh, I think, you know, that, that, it, that it, just, it just spurs more love and that just like, you know, you want to just pour out God's love for them. And as a priest, that's what I think is so beautiful from being a confessor being able to just pour out God's love in places of people's sin. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, I, again, we, we talked about on the last podcast that um, 
Advent is a time of penance and uh, and preparation and prayer. And so um, I would, uh, again, I'll just reiterate my um, my urging from the last podcast to go to confession at some point during Advent. Um, there's lots of reconciliation services during Advent as well. So um, that's my that's my little plug to go to confession, even if it's been a long time. Um, Father Kevin, yeah. you know, Father Kevin was away for it for it for a long time. I was also away for, from it for a long time, and it's definitely uh, a, a peaceful and, and, and productive thing and loving um, yeah. thing to go back to. So um, certainly, that's my that's my little plug. Otherwise, Father Kevin, I, I think it's time for us to to wrap up and, and move to our, kind of our final part, which uh, during the Advent series is is kind of a thing we like to call the Camp Grey Christmas Corner. Um, so the Camp Grey Christmas Corner. Ooh, uh, we talked about this last time on the last pod. So you, uh, we just asked people to in, uh, envision the and and listen for the jingle bells in their heads. Uh, okay. there, there's not. I mean, if you if you I have feel a like theme there should song, be some jingle bells in the transition. But yeah. yeah, that that's what so, I was envisioning too. But mm-hmm. um, you know, so unless you have some jingle bells or you know want to sing some jingle bells, it's probably not gonna. No, that's all right. <laughs> okay, you might have some special jingle effects. Yeah. Um, so Father Kevin, what would you say is your favorite Christmas song? There's so many good ones. Um, well, I think the you know Oh Holy Night is always really moving and beautiful. Um, I'm going to cheat and say a few here. Um, I've also come to really like God Rescue Mary Gentle, which is, I know, kind of more an obscure one and not people's first go-to, but I've come to really like it, that it's just kind of this clever way to tell the Christian story, and it's very kind of, uh, I don't know, sort of like moving. God Rescue Mary Gentle. <laughs> I, I feel like that's one of those songs that people either really enjoy or really do not enjoy. I feel are like you on, a, are you on the not enjoy side of it? Oh no, I think I I think oh. I enjoy it. I I mean I just think it's uh, <laughs> I feel like there's very little middle ground on that song. <laughs> that's true. I and I also I also want to give an honorary mention. There's a couple of great versions of the Twelve Days of Christmas. One being uh, the Muppets have a great version of the Twelve Days of Christmas that I just get a kick out of. With and, one John Denver and the Muppets. Yes, with the very John Denver and the Muppets. And then the band, the rock band Reliant K, has a version of Twelve Days of Christmas that I also enjoy. They're just fun. So honorary mentions. Yes, they are. Um, cool, Father Kevin. Favorite Christmas movie? Ooh, um, I think I have to say Elf for starters. Ooh. It's very yes. quotable and very enjoyable. Um, and then I guess in the more serious one, I also love, uh, it's a wonderful life. I know it's cheesy and I know for a while our family kind of began to hate it because mom would make us watch it every year for like 10 years for Christmas. And then we, till, till we finally had a clue and overthrew that movie, but I still, I, uh, I agree. I think I share similar sentiments. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mom. But, uh, but I do actually really love it. Just why don't people watch it sometimes. Um, I'm also, I haven't seen it, but I'm actually really excited for this new Grinch movie that's coming up, starring Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. as uh, Voice of the Grinch, which is, I know it's really cheesy and kitty, but uh, I think it looks really enjoyable and delightful, so I'm very yeah, excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I have not seen it yet either. If anybody's seen it, let us know and we'll, uh, you know. We'll yeah, give us a review. Go, yeah, give us a review. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, two more. Father Kevin, favorite uh, favorite Christmas food or and or what what your our family does for Christmas dinner? Um, yes, I'm actually going to say plum pudding. Mm, of um, course you are. Yes, I am. <laughs> Mostly, I think it's um, well. First of all, though, I was a little disappointed to learn there's uh, so Grandma makes this plum pudding, and uh, I was a little disappointed to learn there's not actual plums in said plum pudding. Um, so it's a bit of a misnomer, but, uh, I think I mostly like it for the novelty of it. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's this, uh, and uh, yeah, which is anyone's have. I'm sure there's different variations of pump pudding, but ours is it's made. It's this, um, it's this brown mat. It kind of looks like a hamburger patty, uh, but it's made with I think raisins and currants, and then apparently there's beef suet in it. So, uh, and then you put this uh, this white uh, sweet sauce on top, and uh, I just find it an enjoyable, enjoyable, delightful novelty that we only have around Christmas time. So I usually only get it once every. Grandma's also stopped making it because most other people don't like it. Yes, I, I think it's important for our <laughs> listeners to know that uh, plum pudding typically gets made per Father Kevin's request to yes. our grandmother. Uh, and I think he he, he is the only one that eats it, and maybe Grandma has a bite or two because yes. she Grandma feels that she needs to. But, uh, yeah, but she only busted out for those who agree, so, yes. which I do. So. <laughs> good. Um, so. I once also had roasted chestnuts. Uh, Ooh. They're good, actually. You know, you hear about it in the Christmas songs. I was saying, do you, have, do you have a brief story for us about uh, roasted well, chestnuts? We tried roasting chestnuts, and um, uh, it was actually when I was with the Franciscans, myself and Sister Alicia uh, Torres were making this, and I, who I think is visiting camp before. Yes, uh, but we were, we were roasting chestnuts, not over an open fire, in an enclosed oven. But what we didn't know is, is apparently you're supposed to cover them because they actually pop. You know, like they pop, and so... Of course, we we always popping sounds. We pull it out, and there's the the oven is lined with you know ch- little pieces of chestnut shells as they pop. That was uh, problematic, <laughs> but uh, but it was a good time. And that meal also included a making of figgy pudding, which involved um, pouring I think it was some some brandy or something on top and lighting it on fire. So wow, that was just, wow. Uh, there you go. Um, all right, Kevin, Father, uh, Father Kevin, last one on the Camp Great Christmas Corner. What is your favorite Christmas tradition? Ooh, uh, definitely, I think, the live Christmas tree. Um, so I, is going out and getting a tree, uh, sometimes even cutting it down maybe, but even just the, the going out, getting it, the experience of bringing it in and having a live Christmas tree, the, uh, the joy and, the, of the, and all the bickering and arguments that go into getting it to the house drying it off and not and you know knocking things over along the way and all that stuff yeah that's great um, i love the smell of a live pretty inside it's a whole tangible experience <laughs> recruiting finding one finding the right one finding as big as one as possible that mom always said was way too big and, uh, we'd always get the biggest possible one yeah yeah uh mom if you're listening you know as Father Kevin enjoys getting Christmas trees, so he can come home and help you get a Christmas tree. Uh, yeah, <laughs> since, yeah. since I know that Dad really wants and is very excited to go get one with you as well, yeah. um, or maybe not so much. But yeah, uh, I know they talked about getting an artificial tree. That we always, at least I always resisted. Said, no, yep. you have to get a real tree. So, Mom, if you're listening, we need to keep getting real trees. Keep Father yep. Kevin happy. So, um, great. Uh, last thing. Uh, this is not Camp Grade Christmas Corner, but. Um, last thing I want to get you out of here on this, what, uh, what other, any recommendation, what one recommendation do you have for people? Um, maybe it's a book, TV, movie, podcast that you've really been into lately. Um, yeah. What's just one recommendation you have for people, uh, that they should check out? Uh, I have so many, so, uh, you can cheat and give us a couple. All right. I'll give you a couple, not to toot my own horn, but started, uh, I actually started a blog a little while ago, Hammerings of Human Heart. And I recently started with this season of Hope and Advent. I was just really inspired that the world needs a good dose of hope. So I started something I called the Hope Project, uh, which isn't really actually anything. It's just a little series I'm doing on the blog where I just ask people to share stories of hope So uh, in the world. Because I think we often look turn on the news and it's hard to find hope sometimes, you know. So I think, so I just ask people to, so if anyone who's listening wants to come and 
check out the blog the blog and uh, post something about a story of hope. Uh, someone they knew, uh, some mission or ministry they've seen that just inspires or brings hope uh, or anything like that to just share those stories of hope. Um, to just inspire people and share hope during this Advent season of hope. Um, so it's more of a, I don't know if that's a recommendation of a, but just more of an asking, hey, come share your stories of hope. It would be really great. Um, but other than that, also, um, I love C.S. Lewis. So anything by C.S. Lewis, I would highly recommend. He's probably the single most interesting writer. Like any books by him. And uh, also his um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Great book, beginning of the Chronicles of Narnia. And a uh, great movie as well. And I think it's very advent, especially great to read that particular book or watch that movie. Uh, during this Advent season, you know, kind of this theme that Aslan is on the move, you know, Aslan, of course, being the Christ figure. He's coming. The king is coming. He's on this way of returning and breaking the power of the White Witch. So very advent Yeah, perfect. Um, well, awesome. Uh, Father Kevin, I appreciate the time, and it's good to, good to chat with you. Thanks for sharing your yeah, thoughts thanks. on Advent, and um, come visit camp sometime soon, and yeah, I will, for having I'll, me. I'll see you at Christmas. <laughs> yep, see you at Christmas. Yeah, keep up the good work at Camp Gray. It's a great place. Right. Know there. And, and as we, we say at the end of things around camp, uh, we'll, we'll see you later, and bye for now. Bye for now. So, 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 don't, 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 wait, 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 pop, 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 me, me, me.